May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be aligned with your love, O God. Our strength, our courage, our freedom, and our sight. Amen. My God, that's a long gospel lesson, isn't it? <laughs> it's the longest we ever read. It's the whole chapter of, of the night, uh, the, uh, the entire chapter nine, chapter nine of uh, John's gospel. I'm so glad to be with you all. Thank you very much for asking me to come. Y'all look so handsome and pretty. Claire, you hadn't aged a bit. And some of you are op op occupying the same real estate you occupied when I was here as the dean of the cathedral 22 years ago. I love y'all. I really do, and love being here. It's been said that there are two kinds of people in the world today. One kind believes that there are two kinds of people in the world, and the other kind doesn't. I tend to be one of those people who thinks there are two kinds of people or at least two kinds of orientation of thought, two kinds of ideologies, two kinds of competing religions. And I want to tell you a little bit about them because they can lay down a set of reading glasses to understand this passage of scripture, all of the Bible, God, and all of life. So you've come on a really good Sunday. Five years ago, before I became the dean of this beloved cathedral, my life changed when I read a little book by Henry Nouwen called Life Signs, and in that book, Nouwen claims that the way to understand Jesus was to understand that Jesus was always living in the house of love rather than the house of fear, and that the reason Jesus was so misunderstood was that his detractors were always pummeling Jesus with questions and opinions and judgments from their house of fear. And the reason Jesus and his opponents were like two ships passing in the night is that Jesus consistently refused to engage anyone on the level of the house of fear, no matter how long they persisted, even if they persisted through the entire ninth chapter of John. Jesus' answers and teachings and actions were always from the house of love. For me, you can try this on for yourself. This changes all my central religious terminology. For me, you can try it on. God's real name is love. And if you, like me, have difficulty with how God is often distorted by religion and the church, I invite you to use the word love every time you think of the word God. And instead of thinking about the devil or Satan, which I don't believe in as a person, I invite you to think about the power of paralyzing fear or distortion that comes into life because of fear. And every time you see someone who is self-absorbed and bound and paralyzed I want you to have compassion on them 
Consider how fear-based they are and how little room there is in their psyche, soul, thinking, and relationships to listen to, be open to, to be moved by, to be changed by the energy of love, who is God. The sage Osho from India said, don't move the way fear makes you move. Dance and move in life the way love and joy make you dance and move. So I think one of the most important questions in life, one of the most important questions facing the church today, one of the most important questions facing the United States right now is the question, what would you do if you were not afraid? Jesus says you cannot answer that question if you're always blaming, shaming, and attacking others and yourself, which is where the house of fear always shows up. When you're tempted to blame, shame, and attack somebody else or yourself, just let that be a sign that the house of fear has come to grasp you by the heart. When we do as love would have us do instead of as fear would have us do, life is very different. God is love. The kingdom of God is the dominion of love. The evil one is chronic anxiety. And we are called to be people of discernment, which means to build an observation deck so we can step outside ourselves to see whether we're operating in every given moment from the house of love or the house of fear. So live, my brothers and sisters, not the way fear would have you live, but the way love and joy would have you live, and ask the question of yourself, others, community of faith and nation, and the system where you work, be it a hospital or a school or a business. How would you live if you were not afraid? Now, I could, could quit there, but I'm not. <laughs> we're going to go on. My wife afterwards will say, I saw three places where you could have quit. <laughs> so in this morning... So in this morning's gospel story, we've got a bunch of people, especially the religious people, who question Jesus from the house of fear. And Jesus refuses to answer their fear-based questions from the house of fear. He gives them a house of love answer. And it perplexes them because they don't want to give up their familiar furniture, familiar furniture of fear in the house of fear. And the reason this story takes up the entire ninth chapter of the book of John is to show how persistent fear-based religion is and how persistent Jesus lives in the house of love and how Jesus illustrates all the options available to him and to human beings if we live as though we were not afraid. We got a lot of options. These fear-based and thus blaming-oriented people see this man born blind, and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Or in one translation says, whose fault was it, this man or his parents? And in the message translation, it reads that Jesus said, you are so off base. Well, it doesn't say that. I added that a little bit. It says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God 
can do. Let me repeat that. Look instead for what God can do. Factor in God. Just take that in for a minute, my friends. Whenever you are seduced into blaming or judging or attacking yourself or somebody else, stop it! And ask, in this circumstance, what can God do? Let's get ready for what God can do. I know what I'm talking about. I was raised in South Georgia in a Southern Baptist home and environment where I got the message that God was up there and out there, was a static, bearded monarch from whom I was disconnected and discontinuous in my fallen state as a sinner. This God also had an anger management problem whose pattern was to send to be tortured in hell forever those who didn't make his, yes, this God was a man, who didn't make his standards. And that was everybody. Everybody had fallen short. And everybody's going to hell in this fear-based religion because this God was a punitive torturer. The only way we could escape that punishment and be saved into heaven was to believe that Jesus was my personal Lord and Savior and that he had died for my sins. And I had to accept that. And it was a religion of rewards and punishments, tit for tat, eye for an eye, a transactional religion, not a covenantal religion. It was based in fear of punishment, not based in love. It was also, now this is very important, it was also a cultural religion that blessed the status quo of the culture that said that straight white men of property and money have more intrinsic value and worth than women, than people of color, than people who are gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or queer, than persons with disabilities, than people who are homeless, than people who are poor. They're just not worthy and valuable as much as straight white men with property. And this fear-based religion adopted without criticism this hierarchy of value and thus had a social location map. And if you were socially located as inferior, then without prick of conscience, you could perpetuate a culture of enslaving human beings who were black, committing genocide against Native Americans, deprive women of the vote, deprive people of color the right to vote, deprive both women and people of color the right to be paid what straight white men were paid. That is, if you paid people at all, and in the case of slavery, of course, in the slave industry, you didn't pay a dime, and you could do all this in the name of Jesus and that God and of being Christian, including, 
excluding gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer people from the sacraments of the church or the protection of the law from human rights violations and violent beatings. In fear-based religion, you can disguise bigotry against anyone who is in a step down or historically disadvantaged social location from giving them services and claim that that is a religious right that you have. Because fear-based, non-love-based religion adopts the cultural bigotry of the day and mislabels it Christianity. And this has been the case from days gone by when Christians could deprive restaurant service to African Americans and the baptized Christian Adolf Hitler could exterminate people who were not white straight Christians, in other words, Jews, gays, and gypsies, and the apartheid government in South Africa, and I've been to the place where their Congress gathered to develop the theology of separating blacks and so-called colored people from white people, to a church where I preached in downtown Birmingham in December where there was a convention of a similar gathering of Christians to articulate the so-called Christian rationale to perpetuate segregation in Birmingham, to the current day where their efforts in Mississippi and in other states to deprive LGBTQ folks from services all in the name of faux religious freedom and of Christ. This fear-based religion of my childhood also believed in a myth that is cancerous. It's called the myth of the separate self. You in this fear-based religion, you individually can be saved and everybody else can go to hell and that doesn't bother that God. Ooh. You can be okay and included and advantaged by your good behavior while everyone else is damned. If you are a Christian, you can rest assured that Jews, Hindus, atheists are your inferior in the eyes of this distant male Christian static transactional God. Because this fear-based religion is not only white supremacist, it is Christian supremacist. I grew up in this religion. I know what I'm talking about. In this religion, there was no grace. Grace holds that all of us are made whole, not because of our works, but because the real God truly unconditionally loves us. And in this religion, there was less love than fear because everyone is constantly fearful that they must think and behave the right way and never can discover their own unique, wild, weird self called to make a differentiated contribution to the world and its problems. And in this religion, there was no appreciation of science, a religion that says we are going not to listen to science. Because in the beginning was this ideology. The Bible functionally reads, in the be not in the beginning there was God, but in the beginning there was this fear-based ideology. And all facts have to be constructed to fit and agree with this ideology, including faux facts and alternative facts. And when science offered its findings, this religion split away from the truth and expelled geniuses from the church like Galileo and Copernicus and became not a religion about the cosmos but about the empire and keeping its power. I know about this religion. I grew up in it. Fear-based religion is blind, to use the metaphor of this morning's gospel lesson. And through a series of experiences, not unlike Jesus making a paste out of his own spit, 
his own saliva and the very hummus of the earth and applying it to the man's blind man's eyes, Jesus did that to my eyes. Jesus opened my eyes in a pine grove one day and penetrated my heart with love, pure, unadulterated, unalloyed love, and told me that I was the most beloved and special creature God had ever made, and in the same moment told me that everybody else that God had ever made was the most special and beloved creature God had ever made. Do you see how counter-cultural, how revolutionary that is to a religion of fear that destroys the hierarchical white supremacist map, destroys the hierarchical Christian supremacist map and says that we are all beloved by God and we can't do anything to earn more love and we can't do anything for God to take love away from us because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, God makes the sun to rise and shine on the good and the bad and like, and God makes the rain to fall on the good and the bad and like. And Psalm 103 says, God forgives all of our sins. God's mercy endures forever. So Jesus and the blind man, formerly blind man, declare themselves in the course of this lengthy ninth chapter of John that they are atheists about the God I've been describing. And I became an atheist about the God of fear. And I'm here to tell you, testify, that Jesus breaks down the dividing wall between all peoples and religions. And Jesus says that it is a delusion to think that God is only operant on certain days and not operant on others. You can't heal on the Sabbath and have to be in certain places like the cathedral for God to work through you. Or that you have to be a certain religion and not others for God to work. You see, Jesus is a whole maker, W-H-O-L-E maker. Jesus sees oneness between us all because Jesus comes from oneness. God the Father and I are one, he says in the 17th chapter of John. Jesus cleared all that up in his soul during the 40 days he fasted in the desert which you and I are miming now during these 40 days of Lent, we're supposed to come out on Easter Sunday morning saying, I am an atheist in the religion of fear. Sign me up for the religion of love. To use the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Jesus shows us that God is not a Christian, nor a Jew, nor a Muslim but created all these religions as equal and honored ways to God. To use the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., you and I and everybody else live in an inescapable network of mutuality where injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I cannot become who God made me to be unless you are becoming who God made you to be. And it's just not us good looking people on Capitol Street this morning. This is for all of us. And this is the structure of the universe, Dr. King said. And to use the words of Jesus, Jesus himself is in the sick. Jesus is in the imprisoned, 
in the stranger, in the naked, in the hungry, in the immigrant, in the migrant, in the refugee. Jesus and all those vulnerable people are one so that when you do not provide health care to the sick or welcome to the stranger and the immigrant or compassion to anyone in an inferior social location, you actually have withheld care from Jesus himself. And because of this web of life we live in, interwoven like a Celtic knot, we have thus deprived ourselves of acceptance and care and compassion. Fear-based religion, my brothers and sisters, is as lost as a ball in high weeds and blind as a bat, and it'll make you the same. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When I came to this cathedral in 1989, somebody took me aside and told me this story. I'm sure I will not have it absolutely historically accurate. But anybody who's been to school on the history of this place knows that there was a time where we, here at the cathedral, didn't welcome everybody. And we didn't want black people to come in and worship and sit and come to communion. And there was a breakthrough about that. Edward, Edward Harrison, I think, was the name of the dean who helped us with that. But there were still some leaders who, in my estimation, were blind to the wholeness and oneness of all humanity and our interconnectedness with one another. And this one particular brother fought it with all his might. One Sunday, a group of African-American worshipers came to church. And this brother came up and knelt at this altar rail. And just as the way it happens, you don't know who's going to be kneeling next to you. An African-American young woman knelt by him. And she was served the body of Christ. The body of Christ, and she took it. And then the priest went to this brother who was against it all and said to him, the body of Christ. And he started to cry. And he said, I once was blind, but now I see happened in this room. Jesus can take his saliva and the most humble parts of our lives and make paste out of them and put them on our eyes and rid us of our blindness that we have because we've lived and bought the religion of fear. So if I'm not going to have a religion of blaming and always asking the sin question, who is to blame? Then how am I going to live my life? Well, you sure don't throw the baby of accountability out with the bathwater for sure. No, we all have to be accountable to one another. 
But the most important question, according to our leader of the religion of love, Jesus Christ, of the true and living and loving God, is to interrupt ourselves every time we're about to blame, shame, and attack ourselves or somebody else and say, I haven't thought about the fact that God is alive and active. Let's look instead for what God can do with this problem. And then offer yourself as a member of the House of Love to be a partner with God in solving everything that dehumanizes other people. Amen.